year in the church actually starts with Advent. So actually, Happy New Year to you all. And we're entering into the, the year of, of, of Mark. I love Mark because it's action-packed. Mark is the, the shortest of the four canonical Gospels. It was almost certainly the, the earliest Gospel written. Uh, in, uh, in Mark, Jesus is going from one thing to the next. Action, teaching, one thing after another. There's a lot of and then, and then, and then immediately. There's uh, no wasting time in Mark's Gospel. Uh, I, love, uh, I love all of the scriptures. I commend all of the scriptures to you. It's all good. But given that I've only got 15, 20 minutes with you each week, I need to sort of stick to the basics with a lot of the preaching. So I love preaching the Gospels. I love just preaching the Jesus story, uh, Jesus' teachings, his actions, uh, his parables. And, uh, and it's my, my happy place, I suppose, as, as your minister. I need you to be aware of that. So I, I just love teaching about Jesus himself and letting you in your own time, in your home groups, in your Bible studies, exploring uh, in depth the rest of, of the scriptures. So Mark uh, kicks off with this story of, of, John, of John the Baptist. Uh, today is a, is a time of, of preparation. Uh, we, are, we kick off Mark's gospel being invited to, to prepare the way. We are invited to, to make straight paths for the coming Christ. We're invited to prepare our hearts and our minds for Jesus, not just as the infant Jesus born in, in Bethlehem, but to prepare our lives for the coming cosmic Christ. This is a, a time of preparation, church. I think as modern Westerners, we are in fact a, we are in fact a nation of preppers when you think about it. And you might have heard this expression, preppers. Have you heard the, the, the use of the word preppers? Just to sort of donate, donate those um, somewhat uh, crazy people who spend their lives in underground bunkers hoarding food and, and ammunition in readiness for the, for the coming sort of Armageddon, coming for war, you know, war and for the, the breakdown of, of society. But I think we are, even if we're not that way inclined, I think all of us are really uh, preppers in our own way. We are all, in fact, spend a lot of our time and energy preparing for what we consider to be important. I mean, think about it. Think of all the time you spend in school preparing for your career. We spend 10, 12 years at school. Many of us then go on to TAFE or university. Some of us even go on again to get doctorates, preparing for a career. Uh, when we finally finish schooling, we, we might meet someone and we spend months, if not years, preparing for marriage via an engagement. We spend many months, or indeed years, preparing for home ownership, scrimping and, and, and saving. And, and, and then when a baby comes along, uh, of course, we have nine months to prepare for, for the coming arrival. Just ask, just ask uh, Ashwathi or Hitomi at the moment, spending a lot of time preparing for something really important, for the arrival of someone really important in our lives. And think about your career. I mean, we actually spend 40 or 50 years preparing for our retirement. I just shifted my superannuation this past week. So I've actually been thinking about my retirement. What is, what is the best way to prepare for my retirement? I've still got another 20 good years in me, I think. But one day I'm going to have to 
retire, I'll be put out to pasture, and I need to provide for myself and, and make sure that I've, I've prepared. Uh, and you know what? I even spoke to a colleague of mine just last week, uh, one of my colleagues in the presbytery office, and, and she and her husband have actually prepared for their death. You see, last week they actually purchased their own gravesite. How about that? They went to a cemetery and picked out a plot. I actually thought it was a very wise thing to do. I think it's a, it's a very good thing to do. They, they know where their resting place physically will, will be. So we spent a lot of time preparing for what's important. But let me ask you this morning, friend, are you, are you prepared for what's really important? Are you prepared for eternity? Are you prepared for what comes after death? Have you committed to preparing the way, to preparing yourself for, for the rest of eternity? This is what our reading is about this morning. It asks big eternal questions of us about if we are prepared or not. This was John's task. John the Baptist, or, or John the Baptizer, was, was Jesus' second cousin. They were actually related to each other, and his ministry was to prepare the way for the coming Christ, to prepare the way for the Messiah. Uh, he, uh, his was a life spent uh, some 30-odd years. His ministry may have only been a, a few months long, scholars tell us. He spent 30 years preparing for, for this moment, to prepare the way for the one who, he said, whose sandals he was not even worthy to stoop down and untie. John was a bit of a rock star in his own right. We're told that the crowds flocked to him. He was popular in his own right for at least a a period. But John is a wonderful model for us because although he had a certain amount of worldly stature at this point, John knew that he must decrease and that Christ must increase. You'll hear me use those words of John the Baptist most weeks before we uh, kick off and, and I start to, to preach. He's a wonderful role model for us in being prepared for eternity. He gives us a model of how to be prepared for Jesus in our lives. Not just at Christmas, but for all of eternity. How to prepare for the coming King. Let's have a look at Mark chapter 1, just the first opening eight verses of Mark's Gospel. Uh, if you've got it there in front of you, you might like to turn and, and follow along. I think it'll be on screen there in just a second. This is Mark uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through to 8. We don't have it up on screen, so just listen up, follow along, or look it up on your phone or grab a Bible. The beginning of the good news of Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare the way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And so, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness. Hi, how are you going? John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance of sin. Hmm. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothes made out of camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and he ate locust and wild honey. 
And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, whose straps of these sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Church, let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we pray that you might speak to us through this, your word this morning. Father, we pray that it won't simply be words on a page, but that we might live it out in our lives. Help us to be not simply hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Father, we pray that we pray that you might be speaking through me very powerfully, very clearly. Father, we pray that my words might be your words. I pray that I might decrease and you increase in all that is said and in all that is heard. And other people said, Amen. Look, I think at Christmas we all kind of understand that it's more than just about the tinsel and the presents. I think we all kind of get that. We read that in the Old Testament that God has placed eternity in the heart of man. So I think we all kind of understand that Christmas is more than just about all the, all the consumerist stuff. And I think in between all the advertising that we're bombarded with, you will hear this message wedged in there that, oh, don't forget to, about the togetherness. Don't forget about the, the hugs. And, and don't forget about the warm and the fuzzies. Uh, don't forget about you know, sharing and caring and, 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 and loving and, and being together. All that sort of sentimental kind of, kind of stuff. And that's all, it's all good stuff, but I think it, it actually sort of misses the point. Although it's sort of a, a level deeper than all the very superficial Christmas stuff, I think it still misses the point. Because along comes John, and although I don't think John would have been against even the tinsel, I don't think John would have been against the loving and the caring and the hugging and the sharing and the togetherness. In fact, I think he would have been pro all of those things. He actually goes even deeper still. John has a fairly radical message for us. John was a real wild man. I like John. John was a, a, real, a real hard head. He was a firebrand preacher. When I picture John in my mind's eye, I don't know about you, but I think John would have looked like uh, Tom Hanks in the movie Castaway. Have you seen the movie Castaway with Tom Hanks? Not the sort of the doughy white office boy at the start of the movie. Remember that guy? And then the movie very cleverly shifts focus in one shot and you see this hard, leathery, slim down, very brown, weathered kind of a guy with a great big beard and, and dreadlocks. He's been living on a desert island for years and years with his, his only mate, Wilson, the volleyball, if you remember. That's what I reckon John the Baptist would look like. Or maybe one of the contestants on the TV show, Survivor. Have you ever seen the movie Survivor? A few of you are content. After a while, those contestants on Survivor start looking a lot the same as what I picture John the Baptist. They too start to get all very sunburnt and hardened and brown and leathery and big, long, sort of scraggly beards. That's how I picture. That's how I picture John. But you know what I think? John would have been the first one voted off the island on Survivor because he said some pretty unpopular things. He was popular for a period, a bit of a rock star preacher for a period, but actually ended up losing his head. You see, John said things that weren't very popular. John was no politician. John didn't just say what people wanted to hear. John fiercely proclaimed the truth. He didn't blow this way and that and just simply go with what was, what was popular. Uh, John was no marketing guru. Uh, John was a very simple man, camel hair, leather belt, no doubt made out of the same camel, if you ask me. He ate locusts and wild honey. 
a real alternate sort of firebrand, a preacher out in the desert. But people flocked to him because they too sensed there's something more to this life. There had to be something more. And his, his uh, message was, uh, was to prepare the way for the coming Lord. The prophet Isaiah spoke about him. The prophet Isaiah um, foretold or prophesied about the coming of John. He said, I will send my messenger ahead of you, talking about the coming Christ, who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the desert. Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. So John's message was to prepare the way. But how did he do that? And how would he do it if he was here amongst us today? Well, John's message was certainly, yes, don't forget about the loving and the caring and the sharing, but John's primary message, friends, was one of repentance. John called his hearers to repent. That was what he was on about. In order to prepare the way for Jesus, he called people to repent. That's a bit of a tough message. People today don't like being told to repent. It's not a popular word today, people being told to repent. We bristle, don't we? We think, I'm all right, thanks. I've got myself sorted out. I'm all right. I know what I'm doing. You're not the boss of me. We don't like to be told to repent these days. But nevertheless, John didn't seem to care. He preached a baptism of repentance because he knew that our biggest problem wasn't the fact that, you know, we sometimes, you know, get caught up in the things of this. We actually knew that our biggest problem was that we are separated by God from, from sin. That we needed to repent of everything that separated us from God, to turn aside from all of those things. He knew that a perfectly holy God who breathed stars into existence couldn't possibly stand to be in the presence of anyone or anything that is, that is unholy, that in order to come into God's presence, to be reunited with God once more, we needed to be washed clean, whiter than the snow, that we need to be made perfect. Remember, Jesus himself said, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's a bit of a problem because I'm sure, as you know, you're not perfect. I'm certainly not perfect. So it leaves us with a huge problem. It leaves us with a gap. There is a chasm between us and God uh, called sin. So John has called us to repent of, of that sin. That is his call down through the ages. Make straight the way for Christ in your life, your deed in the world, by repenting, by turning around. The word simply means to turn around. Now, for some people, I think that repentance will indeed mean literally like a U-turn. For some people... Uh, literally been heading in a very dark path. And sometimes, yes, it will mean a complete 180 in your life. There are some people who have wonderful testimonies that they've done just that. Headed down very dark paths, paths towards uh, away from God into, into darkness and sin and death, and they needed to do a complete 180. If that's you, friend, let me encourage you to, to take this moment to do that 180, to do that U-turn, to repent. It'll be the best decision you ever make. But I suspect many of us here today don't need to do a complete U-turn. Many of us just simply need to repent of those little sort of variations we have that are taking us off the narrow path. Many of us that have been around churches for any length of time, we, we sort of know it all up here. We just struggle to sort of live it in and we drift to the left or, or to the right. And in doing so, we, we actually drift away and we are in need to repent of everything that is 
that is not of, of God. So how do we do this thing called repentance? What is this thing called repentance? Well, I came across a, a simple little formula this week that, that I found helpful when I was uh, researching this message. It's, it's repentance uh, made up of, of three R's, three simple R's. If you want to know what repentance looks like and how to do it, three simple R's of repentance. The first one is simply to recognize your sin. Recognize those times when you know that you're not walking in the way that God wants you to walk. Recognize those times. Name those times. Be honest with yourself. Confess to yourself that the ways in which you are broken, the ways in which you are, are leaving, leading a life that is, is not worthy of, of God. You need to recognize your sin. Confess it to yourself. And although I know we're part of the Protestant tradition, we don't do the confessional thing, but we are actually told in Scripture to, to confess our sins to our brothers and sisters in Christ. If you find that helpful, can I encourage you to do so? Find a, a trusted brother or sister in Christ that can help hold you accountable for the ways in which you, you tend to find yourself drifting away from God into destructive patterns of behavior or speech or even just in, in your thought life. I'm happy to, to talk to you and sit and talk through these things. It won't go any further than myself. Many people down through the years have, have taken the opportunity to do that, even though I'm not a Catholic priest. If you just want to unburden yourself, um, please know that it won't go any further. If that's helpful for you, um, you will need to, to recognize your sin, even just with yourself or perhaps with a trusted brother or, or sister in Christ. So once you've recognized your sin, friend, you need to receive forgiveness. Now this can be tough. You need to acknowledge that you've recognized your sin, but you also then need to receive the forgiveness that you so desperately need. As followers of Jesus, we believe that forgiveness is a free gift, freely given. You can't earn salvation. It is a free gift from God. That's why we call it grace. This is the amazing grace of which we sing. Stop trying to earn your own salvation. Stop trying to sort of earn brownie points with God and be a good, be a better person in order that God might one day finally love you. Just stop it. It's exhausting. It's exhausting for you and for the people around you. It's religion. It's dead religion. It's religion in the worst form of the word. Any sort of religion is trying to earn God's favor. It is the polar opposite of the good news of Jesus Christ. Simply receive forgiveness for the free gift that it is. It's something that we blokes sometimes struggle with. I know I pick on the blokes, but I'm, I, it's my experience is what I know, and I know what we struggle with. Bloke, it's not your job to fix everything in the world. and It's not your job to fix yourself. It is a free gift given by God in Jesus Christ. We are saved by grace through faith. Amen? So receive that forgiveness. Surrender. Let go of trying to earn your way into God's good books. Let it go. Throw yourself upon his mercy and upon his grace, knowing that he sent his son to die for you in your place. So receive that gift. Receive that forgiveness. Recognize your sin. Receive forgiveness. Let yourself receive forgiveness. And finally, You'll need to reform your life. You will need to exhibit 
this repentance in your life. It will need to be lived out. Unless you actually change ways, unless you actually change the way you live, can I suggest you haven't really repented? We do come across this from time to time, don't we? People who sort of say sorry, but their actions, well, they just continue doing what they've always done. They haven't, they're not really sorry, are they? If they were really sorry, you would see a change in the way that they live. You see a change in their life, in thought and word and in deed. You will need to, to change paths. So there's the three R's of repentance if you find that helpful. Recognise your sin, receive forgiveness and reform your life in that point. Allow yourself to be changed, made new. Become that new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Allow yourself to be completely changed. A metamorphosis, a new person will take up residence as a result of you deciding to repent of all that is not of God. Another way of thinking about repentance is to pick up on what John said elsewhere, simply that I must decrease and he must increase. I love that little phrase. That's why I use it almost every week here before I, I start to preach. It's a really helpful reminder that the, the ego that so easily swirls up, certainly in me, and I'm sure if you're honest with yourself, in you as well. It's a yielding. It's, it's a letting go. I once did a, a stint in, in Royal North Shore Hospital when I was a, at Bible College. They made me spend a summer in a hospital doing some hospital chaplaincy. I, got, I didn't, wasn't terribly thrilled with the decision of the lecturers at the time, but I learned so much that summer at Royal North Shore. I was wandering from ward to ward because I learned a lot about myself. And I learned how easily, how quickly Pete Chapman's agenda comes back up inside me. We had to go away and write down word for word our conversations with these patients who sometimes told me to bugger off, quite frankly, but other times were welcome a bit of a chance for a chat. And I saw how often I would steer the conversation, that I'd come into the room being the God person and I'd steer the conversation in directions that I wanted it to go. Stuff about me. I bought way too much Pete Chapman in this conversation. I had to recognise to let that go. I was not here to serve my own end, but here to serve the person in front of me, sick in, in, a, in a hospital bed. The self rises up each and every day. Can I encourage you to put it to death each and every day? I must decrease. God must increase in all that I say and do. Let go, surrender. Corrie ten Boom is a wonderful Christian who many of you will be familiar with. She was actually a, a, Dutch, a Dutch evangelist who actually spent a few years in Ravensbrück concentration camp. Uh, during the Second World War. And she, uh, she, she wrote, put yourself, your ability, your money at God's disposal. He can do so much more with it than you can. I like that. God can do so much more with what he's given me than, than I can. So this repenting, this turning away, is repenting of all that is not of God, turning towards all that is good, all that is of God, saying, here I am, take my life, I surrender. That's the internal thing, but can I encourage you to think there's also an external element about repentance as well. There's also an outward sort of outward focus on, on repentance as well as the internal stuff. Can I encourage you to think about how you can make a difference with others? Can I encourage you about how to 
actually make a change in your life to love and to serve the people around you that Christ died for. Part of saying, this is, I'm going to die to self and serve others, is saying, I, I'm actually going to, to live not for me, but to serve the people around me, serve the world uh, around me. Wonderful little poem written by a fellow by the name of uh, C.D. Uh, Meads that I think picks up on this wonderful little aspect of repentance in sort of the, the outward focus, in the social part of, of what John is preaching. He wrote this, he said, Lord, help me to live from day to day in such a self-forgetful way. Self-forgetful way. Lord, help me to live from day to day in such a self-forgetful way that even when I kneel to pray, my prayers shall be for others. Others, Lord. Yes, others, let this my motto be. Let me live for others that I may live like thee. Amen? Can I encourage you this week indeed to repent? Live not for yourself, to yield, to surrender. Live, kill off the self. Repent. Recognize your sin. Receive forgiveness. Reform your life. Live not for yourself, but for those that God has put around you in anticipation of his glorious coming kingdom. Not just at Christmas time, but as we look forward to Christ coming again and ushering in his kingdom in all of its fullness. No more sickness, no more crying, no more pain, no more death. What a wonderful day that will be. Come, Lord Jesus, come. May each of us repent and prepare the way for the coming King. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we ask for your help, for we cannot do this by ourselves. We cannot do this in our own strength. We confess to you that we are weak. We confess to you that... This time of year, many of us are weary. So we ask for your help. We throw ourselves upon your mercy and say, come and have your way in our lives. Help us to indeed repent of all that is not of you. Help us to turn aside from anything that is ungodly. Any sinful activity in thought, word or, or deed, Father, anything that doesn't bring glory to you, Anything that hurts your creation, that grieves your heart, Father, that indeed even hurts ourselves, help us to lay it down, leave it at the foot of the cross, to repent of it all, Father, to turn to you, and indeed to truly live. Come, Lord Jesus, come in my life. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Break into our world, we pray. In Jesus' name.